This is What Goddesses Watch, the film and TV podcast taking a divinely badass dive into how we think about the feminine on screen with the hottest thinkers and arts makers from around the world. I'm Soma Ghosh, film critic and editor of The Demented Goddess, and I'm joined by novelist, professor and booker shortlisted writer Maza Mengiste and feminist author and activist and global hell-raising icon Mona El-Tahawi. Hello, Maza. Hello, so much. Great to see you. It's wonderful to be with you. And hello, Mona. Hello, Soma and Maza. Delighted to be here with you both. Hello, Mona. I am, I can't tell you, my Indus Valley hot spring of tantric goddess love overfloweth at having two such stars to kick off our first episodes. Um, and you can tell I am, I'm definitely aiming for new highs of femme <laughs> fruitiness with introducing every episode. <laughs> We're talking about Egyptian film Suad by director and writer Aitan Amin and the Sudanese drama You Will Die at 20, directed by Amjad Abu Alala and written by Alala and Youssef Ibrahim. Both films are showing in the UK as part of The Time Is New, selections from contemporary Arab cinema till 5th October at the BFI South Bank and throughout the UK shortly thereafter and they're already out in the USA. Mona, um, first of all, um, obviously you have your own Egyptian background, but what did what did you like about Suad? Oh my God, so many things. I, I love that film. But you know, I think the, one of the first things that come to mind for me as an Egyptian, I really appreciate the film was based in Zazi and not in Cairo because so much, so much about Egypt is, is the centralized kind of suffocating all-encompassing Cairo is everything, whether it's politics, whether it's culture, where everything is about Cairo to the detriment of other parts of the country. And I love that this film completely ignored Cairo. Cairo was barely mentioned. And it's between Zazi and Alexandria. And I love that. I thought the film was also fantastic. I, um, I love the fact that it brought us into the intimate circles of a different generation of of womanhood than what I think we are used to seeing um, when we speak about Islam. Um, and I I loved seeing the different uh, the different personalities amongst the young women. Some were covered, some were not, some you know, or when they would go home, they would really be free. When they were amongst themselves, they were having conversations the way that anyone would have. Uh, and I I think that um, it was revelatory in many ways. It's, these are not the stories that you hear. Uh, and also their use of social media was really eye-opening for me, I, I think. Um, I, I, it, we'll talk about this later, but it introduced how that is an outlet for them uh, in their lives in, in really profound ways. I loved it. You talked about the social media and the the community talking to each other, um, but what I also 
thought was quite masterful was the creation of that watchfulness through the jittering eye of the handheld camera and the the style of realism um, which contributed to this absolute suppression ultimately of Suad's own sex life and pain um, so that we have this presentation in this kind of realism that every day things we think we're seeing other women we think we're seeing what's going on with them and yet there are all the things which are not seen as they put forward this performance of femininity for other women and so ultimately her disappearance feels like an inevitable trick that you f- feel oh, I should have seen that coming but you don't so the content and the form um, uh, meld really beautifully for me. Um, and I was interested to know what you guys thought about the place of women. So Mazzy was just talking about it, it being the, the younger women um, and the place of women overall in, in, in the world of, of, of Suad. Uh, yeah, I... These were clearly women living in a in a patriarchal world, and I think that what we see, um, I was seeing the way that Soad and her friends were trying to rebel against that in in many different ways. Sometimes, uh, you know, it it was unconscious. Sometimes it was quite overt. Um, I think that we see the gaps between the generational gaps between this, you know, her friends her, and then her little sister, um, you know, and then her mother, you know, there are three different worlds of women that are happening here. And uh, I, there was a, there's a particular scene that, uh, so I, when she was cleaning the house and her father came in that um, I was, I was so pissed off seeing uh, that, the, uh, you know, I can understand that uh, in Ethiopian culture. I think we can understand that in so many different societies and it was so blatant. Well, you know, this, uh, so I watched this film, you know, as you both did recently, and this is the 10th anniversary of the Egyptian revolution and the revolutions that took place across the region, you know, beginning with Tunisia at the end of 2010. And, you know, it was, a, a core kind of aspect of the revolution was the use of social media, especially by young people, to bypass uh, the regime and to say, I count. But one of the things that didn't come across during um, those early years of the revolution was the role of gender and a more feminist kind of um, embrace uh, of what the revolution wanted to achieve. And I see it happening now in Egypt. And I see it happening in that film, regardless of, you know, the various tragedies that I introduced, because I'm now seeing in Egypt, and it's something that I've been writing about more recently, women especially saying, look, it's been 10 years and, you know, whose revolution is this? And I'm following specifically accounts that are, to, that, that are very sex positive in Arabic unprecedented accounts, social media accounts that talk about sex and orgasm and I own my body. And there is an Arabic language account that has produced the first sex toy by Arab women for Arab women. So I'm, I watch so add, you know, with that backdrop of these sex positive Arabic language social media accounts. And I'm thinking, ah, so add would be following these accounts. So add would probably be on there, perhaps anonymously, you know, 
taking tips, maybe talking about, you know, masturbation and how important it is to her, you know, because that's where I see the, the world of Sa'ad and the world of women. Her mother's generation, who's, she's probably younger than mine, <laughs> my generation, that kind of bypassed them all. This, you know, FGM and the control of women's sexuality. But Sa'ad and her generation are the generation that are, are coming of age 10 years after the revolution. And especially with Rabab, like Maza said, who's 13, she was three when the revolution happened. And she is going to grow up knowing that there are women now behind these accounts saying, I deserve to have an orgasm and not have to pay for it. Yeah, and quite clearly, both the films are metaphorically addressing revolution and upheaval. Um, but for me, it's interesting. I, for me, I felt that Suad did that more successfully than You Will Die at 20. Um, and it's interesting talking about sex positivity, um, that every conversation about boyfriends, uh, whitening the skin, even vulvas um, between uh, these uh, these girls, because they, they gather in, in bedrooms to talk about this stuff. And it just goes right up against, um, have you prayed? Uh, do you believe? Uh, they create their identities, um, sort of judging each other. Um, and ab above them is the shadow of the, the imams and, and the prophets. Um, and whilst they are emotional sponges, I mean, they, in the film, um, we see them quietly. Um, and at one point when tragedy strikes, that's, that's where women, women get their voice, they get their chance to, 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 to gather and grieve. We watch them soaking up the effluvia of men, um, of, of loss and of, of violence that is in some way controlled by men. And it's spewed out in grieving and, and, and house cleaning, although in the, in the scene which Mazza mentioned with the, the father coming in, who, and he loves his girls, that's, that's the thing, that's the, the, the tragedy, um, that, that he too is controlled by uh, the forces that, that, that control women. So that the father comes in and S Suad is doing her morning chores and he's a bring tea, move the TV um, and learning that Rabab is in bed, let her rot. And I had a, a favourite moment of, of, of terrible, it was a terrible moment of black comedy um, when the women uh, went to the toilet where their, their, their grief was was overwhelming and the toilet of course would be would be cleaned by the women but even there um, whilst uh, they're comforting each other over tragedy um, one of the women says uh, we can't object God's will and the other replies we can't mention God's name in the toilet um, and all of that you know and so so the fact that the fact that uh, Amin is able to bring in this black comedy in an otherwise a very downbeat you know, very uh, uh, repressed um, film. Um, but she uses that with the verite style and, and the natural dialogue and that handheld camera. So the claustrophobia becomes so compelling that I was just longing for one of them to, to break through. That, 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 that doesn't happen. That um, it doesn't happen in the obvious way of somebody, you know, um, uh, crying out, um, which brings us to this then, so what is what is the space that, that you have in this situation? And the question of the creation of a, of a, of a private self um, and the role of the male gaze in Suad. So what I'm thinking here, so we've talked about social media and the various uses in contemporary Egypt, 
now and how we see it uh, uh, unfolding in, in, in the film. Um, so the film actually opens with uh, seeing Suad taking nonstop pictures of her daily journey um, by the Nile to pick up Rabab from school, right? And there's, it's really interesting how she occupies this porous trap of social media. Um, on the one hand, there is this opportunity to create and there's this opportunity to um, navigate between the private and the non-private. But at the same time, there's this giving away of the daily self. And some of my favourite bits were to do with this, the fake private self that Suad erects. Um, and this is often in public spaces. So her lies to other women about being a doctor engaged to a soldier. Um, and, and, and in other ways, this respectable recasting of her love triangle, which she's in. So she's having this affair um, or kind of erotic friendship. We have no idea actually how much physical contact has taken place in this love triangle with Ahmed, who's a privileged freelance photographer and influencer. And I think ultimately, um, those are, there's a challenge, as you guys know, uh, by uh, Rabab, the little sister, to Ahmed in the second half of the film. Um, after Rabab has followed um, these clues, and the phone contains these fragmented clues of Suad's uh, self, which is filtered through her attempts to portray herself to lover, would-be lover, friends, family... And uh, I thought that was brilliant in itself, that the, the phone is so important. You see her constantly clutching the phone. And at the end um, of, of, of her storyline and her vanishing, it's a little sister grabs the phone uh, because she knows that's the closest thing that she can get to her sister. And it becomes this metaphor for stunted, sledgehammered passion. This And the empty slickness of selfies. So... You know, Suad has some phone sex, there are hints of masturbation. Um, she tears up while she photographs herself, but ultimately all of this private stuff, it has a public end, doesn't it? As a public end either for other women or for like the male gaze. So I don't know how, how, how you felt that was that was navigated in the film. Look, wh one of my favorite scenes was when uh, one of the girlfriends was dancing for the circle of young women, right? Because it is very sexually charged. It's very um, erotic. Uh, it's very free. And it's a reminder of um, the freedom that these young women have. Now, if this was a group of men and, and one of them got up to dance like this to the other men, we would say it's homoerotic. These men are having some kind of sexual relationship with each other and they're repressed and they don't know how to express it to themselves or to each other. But because it's women dancing in front of other women, you know, why aren't we saying that? And I think that the director... Now, I, because I'm an Egyptian and I've seen this happen a million times, you know, I'd be sitting with aunts and one of them would just suddenly get up and dance, you know, for everyone else. Um, I know that there's two sides to this. Yes, of course, it's charged with eroticism and sexuality, but it's also this, you know what? There are spaces where women don't give a fuck about men. You know, look, I go to clubs with my girlfriends and we, we dance with each other and for each other. And if a man tries to, to interject, they're like, fuck off. We're having a good time. We want nothing to do with you, you know? But I'm, I'm interested in, in the, the kind of the questions the director gives us here because in that private space, the women can be sexual with each other. So are they or aren't they? And if, um, she's able to or not, um, have, um, phone sex with Ahmed, 
Why aren't these young women having sex or even considering themselves as like, you know, objects of sexual passion? So these are the questions that are also occurring to me because I know that this is happening in, in Egypt where the LGBTQ community have, you know, we now have words in Egypt that are not uh, discriminatory or homophobic. So I'm wondering through this film if this is also a question that comes up about where the private ends and where the public begins. Because I, I, I'm sitting there watching these young women and I'm like, surely one of them is being turned on by this. And I, I believe that the director wants us to ask, you know, where is sex and sexuality in female spaces and what is allowed and what isn't allowed in female sexuality? Yeah, because it's a very, it's a, it's a very sensual scene, that scene. And it's also twinned with um, uh, the discovery of, of Suad having a, a little pink chiffon pair of knickers with a, with a keyhole space, which she, she claims that her mother has got for her dowry. And we all, we, we all know there's knickers. <laughs> so, Mazza, what did you think about, um, so the creation of the, of the private self and specifically the role of the, of the male gaze in that? So how, it's, mm. how it then is, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to show this to him, as uh, Suad mm-hmm. says, when she and her sister in that lovely sequence are taking photographs of each other on their balcony and um, mm-hmm. putting red lipstick on without their mother knowing and daring to show bra straps. But it's all ultimately for the male gaze. I thought, uh, I love that scene between two sisters uh, having their own private moment, reveling in their own beauty and in uh, experimenting in, in one way or another with their own sensuality. Um, but the the... I think the most haunting part of this for me, uh, speaking of the male gaze, was the fact that um, at some point in the film, we are told uh, the women, the older women in this film, remark again and again that Soad is a virgin. That she was, thank goodness she's a virgin. And I, it, it just... That part just shook me. Speaking of where does the public life end and a private world really begin, that for her, up up to the end of the film, there was no real privacy. That, you know, the, if, if her story, you know, might begin with, the, with those, that, the knickers that you talked about, with that whole... I mean, that's an interesting parallel to set next to the fact that they had to make sure she was a virgin. That, uh, for me, was, it was horrifying. uh, And it made this film so disturbing. Um, But what I also thought, the reason I just, I love the the little sister, is she just didn't give a fuck that she was going to take, get on a bus, and basically just sit down in this man's, young man's life and say, I'm just going to follow you. And you're going to answer my questions. And I have, I have this phone and I'm going to ask you these questions. And you are going to speak about your private public self to me. Uh, she didn't give a shit. And, and you could see he just, she was just making him more and more uncomfortable until at some point he just had to bend. And I think it's, he put an arm around her and... Uh, she was tough. I think, Mona, that's that generation you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, she could yeah. get on the phone with her father and say, I'm not coming home tonight. And yet it was interesting that she was also, she literally imitated her sister. So um, there's a line um, through the film where uh, Rabab hugely entertains Suad by um, imitating their um, very pious or certainly pious performing auntie who comes in and decides that everything is haram you know like it's like the curtain is haram you know your your top is haram like ev everything everything is forbidden everything is wrong um and um there's a, a, a fantastically poignant moment where she um finally um turns to ahmed and and offers to imitate um the woman who we don't really know in the end. He's ultimately, he's abandoned, he's he's betrayed. And it's interesting that she also, and I think that was one of the most daring, film, daring things about Amin's film, actually, was that at 13, she also sort of occupies the position of kind of going on a date with him, of forcing him into a situation where they're walking by the sea together, um, he might perhaps kiss her or cuddle her um, to try and experience what it was that Suad experienced with him. And I think that was, for me, that was one of the most daring things about the film. Um, and here at What Goddesses Watch, we are paying homage to Lorraine Hansberry by uh, trying, if we can, uh, to sum up what we really loved about the film or what we think that the film's greatest strength might be or um or or it's it, it and its weaker points if there are any so it's Hansbury and Pantsbury um so I'm going to go first with um what I think was uh Suad's Hansbury moment uh top moment so for me um the the stylistic uh strength of it that it just embraced this driven uh quite downbeat um, quasi-monotony um, to show um, how the suppression is is constant and yet there, there was that undercutting with the jittery camera that suggests that all is all is not what you've seen and I think as, as Maz has mentioned um, total total Hansbury moment um, and Hansbury award to uh, Basmala El Gaish who plays Rabab um, the little sister, um, just the shadows that pass over her long, mild face um, in her observation of the sister and the her gentle and obstinate stalking of Ahmed. So those are my those are my Hansbury moments, and and the weakness to some degree is the same. I think that the the driven downbeat monotony um, might make it quite hard for some viewers to actually see through to some of the things that we're talking about. So what about Mona? Have you got a, got a Hansbury for us? So my Hansbury for the film Suad is the silences. All, the, all that went unsaid, I think, was a great way of portraying... Uh, it was a stand-in for that sexual repression, for all the forms of repression. So everything unsaid was such a burden um, as a way of portraying the burden uh, that these women, especially the young women, have to live through. Uh, my... Hansbury moments would be uh, I think the, the the way it brings us into the intimate lives of, of these young women the the friendships that it lays in front of us and also this uh, the sisterhood that it showed 
between Soad and, and Rabab. I just, I, I loved that. Um, I felt that those were really powerful <clears throat> moments that despite everything, they had this and there was this young, younger woman, Rabab, that was going to do something different from any of the other generations that we saw. I agree. I found I found their sisterhood incredibly, um, incredibly touching. Um, so, if I had to throw a divine thunderbolt at this moment, um, which uh, we try to do, if we can, possibly, of course, to just flash everybody up. Um, I think for me, um, ultimately, the thing the thing to sort of take away the the idea is that there is suppression pain and desire in the most ordinary everyday story if we're willing to look for it and if like Rabab we are able to step outside of the conventions and question it. Um, I don't know if, uh, if, if Mona you've got a, a thunderbolt moment that, um, that struck you about this one. Well I think it's the determination to live at whatever cost and the film clearly shows us very painfully very poignantly that there is a cost that you know that that or that you know we laugh when people say freedom isn't free you know and it's like it's almost like like some kind of team america you know thing that makes us laugh but it's not and it, and it shows you that even in the most repressed environments people have a desire to be free and to live and to and and, and to fuck and to love and to all of that knowing there's going to be a cost and often paying at that, that a very, very high uh, price for all of that. And yet we still do it. I think that's one of the main messages of that film for me. Yeah, absolutely. And Mazza, have you got uh, a thunderbolt? It's impossible to curtail everything about, about human beings, personal lives, about desires, uh, uh, ambition it will always always come through in one way or another um i think some of you were mentioning part of the you know the handheld camera and the editing of this was what reminded us again and again about social media um i found the editing to be one of the strengths but also one of the the f things that the flaw the flaws if there is yeah pantsbury pantsbury um, <laughs> pantsbury <laughs> um, but at the same time it those cuts that felt awkward in certain places to me were representative of what i think mona is saying that they, we cannot know everything all we get are these representations of people uh, and that was a reminder and i think that that's the strength of this film That brings us to You Will Die at 20, um, another film of repression, family, society, and these questions of how can you know another person, but also how can you know yourself? Um, so it's by director and writer Amjad Abu Alala, um, who has talked about this film being a call for freedom by the Sudanese people who've been revolting against um, a 
their oppressive, first of all, their oppressive President al-Bashir, and then following the massacre of Khartoum in June 2019, the military powers. The story of the film follows Muzamil. Muzamil, living in a remote desert village in Sudan, is cursed at birth by Islamic mystics attending his tribal sheikh, who predict that he will die by the time he's 20. His mother sets about protecting him from any chance of death, sacrificing her own happiness and his personal freedom. So, Maza, what did you like about You Will Die at 20? I have to make a confession that uh, I, I watched it again last night and then Mona and I uh, happened to finish the film at almost exactly at the same time because as soon as the credits go up for me I get a text from her saying oh my god <laughs> this film <laughs> so I think um I have a sense that it hit us both very hard uh I just this is a this film is going to stay with me for a very long time it is one of those that uh, I think I will probably watch again once I'm strong enough to do that. But I think the strength of it is the questions that it asks that, that are uncompromising in, in, the, in the answers it forces us to consider. Uh, it's also beautifully filmed absolutely beautifully filmed the framing of every shot is just uh reminiscent of some of the, the some of the greatest films i think i i have seen i'm so glad that you watched it at the same time i've had those i've had those moments and it's especially fun uh when i drop a text to a girlfriend in the states or something or you know like across across the time zone and they just happen to have been watching the same thing um so mona what were your feelings what did you let's start with what did what did what did you like a, a quick uh, a quick thing on what did you like particularly Oh, oh, everything about this film. I, I like, I, I think Mars is absolutely right. This is a film that is going to stay with me for a really long time. I just, I loved how spare it was. And in the spareness, walked so much. I mean, I, I said in Swad, the silences represented so much, so many or, or so much the, the repression. And here, the story is in the spareness, whether it's the, you know, kind of like the, the environment itself or how the dialogue is so sparse. And, and, and it, so it invites you to come in and just walk with the characters. There was a scene in Suad where Ahmed, the young man, is making a, a, a small TikTok or whatever it was with his girlfriend where he's like, I can't even kiss her. Oh, my God. We're driving for hours and hours where there's no privacy. And you can't kiss anyone. And I'm like, God, I know because I've been in that car with someone I want to kiss and you can't. And, and so it's like a hint at how even, even men are repressed by the patriarchy. And that is taken to the nth degree in You Will Die at 20 because it shows us Muzammil as he grows up from a baby to a young man and how at every step that repression is, you know, squeezing the life out of him. So it hurts the women, absolutely, but we see how it hurts the women in, in Suad. But You Will Die at 20 shows us also for those who say, well, why do we need feminism? Why is feminism for everyone? Because it hurts the men too. And often the men need to hear how it hurts them. And yet the very beauty of the film is quite a convincing argument for the Islamic modesty and the simplicity of this 
uh, remote village life in Sudan. So um, I too was I was really struck just by the sheer the photographic beauty of Muzamil's what effectively becomes his prison as his mother in a type of Sleeping Beauty story um, tries to uh, sustain his life at least until 20. So in this film, we see the the swelling golden sands and the hand-dried earthen walls um, encompassing and enclosing the human fi- figure. And it almost convinces us of the rightness of acceptance of humans taking their their temporary place in a wider um, divine plan and when you see um, the, the the modest clo- clothing the the flowing robes of white and blue and and red and the um, the, 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 the the Islamic mystics who trance dance and um, euphorically, uh, sing the praises of Allah if their dreadlocks flying saying I accept um, I feel the love the sheer beauty of the simple shapes of the film might make one almost accept that as is said in the film that God's command is inevitable which is what is said when one of these mystics collapses um, just at 20 and the interpretation is that therefore the baby uh, Muzamil who's been brought there is 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 going to um, is going to die and the beauty is there in in the figure of Muzamil um, himself played by Mustafa Shehata um, it's there in his cleft-chinned handsomeness it's there in his um, sober um, lean, um, beauty as he devotes himself to the mosque, um, his recitation of the Quran, his intellect. Um, and then, but then, you know, so that, all of that stuff almost, it sort of almost convinces you that all of this enclosure, this encompassment, this, you know, all of these beautiful shapes, they all fit together. And then there is this problem of, well, if there's no agency, if there's no free will, to the beauty of this Islamic devotion. Is there, is there a beauty in Islamic modesty as shown in, in, in this film? Mona. Okay, you're talking to someone who has had her run-ins with Islamic modesty <laughs> and, course, has, yeah. and has been cancelled over it several times over. <laughs> um, I know, but I think that's why, it's, that's why it's, it's interesting because this is, you know, we're talking about a work of art and, and, and the arguments that it's making on that artistic yeah. level. Look, I... I chose to wear hijab when I was 16 years old and I chose and I put this in inverted commas to take it off when I was 25 and yet I complicate and muddy that word choice by telling people that it took me eight years to be able to reject Islamic modesty and why did it take me eight years to be able to choose to do something that I'm told is you know my free choice so I'm like fuck modesty fuck every modesty that exists Islamic, Christian, Hindu, Jewish, Buddhist, because that kind of modesty exacts a much greater toll on women, girls, and queer people than it does on cisgender heterosexual men, even though the protagonist of this film is a young man. Because when you see, so you see him getting older and older, and he he does become more beautiful. He's a beautiful boy, and he's a beautiful young man, yeah? And at the same time, you see his mother literally dying before our eyes. So he's the one who is supposed to die at 20 and she is literally dying before our eyes. There is a scene where she's looking straight on 
and th she's dead. There's nobody there. She's like, she's checked out, you know? Everybody is living except for her, and the curse was on him. So like, fuck their modesty. My favorite character in this film is Suleiman, who enters this film and just completely fucks it up. And he's like, look at this dancer, Samia Gamal. Oh my God, one of the most beautiful women in the history of humanity, this famous Egyptian belly dancer, you know? And he, and when he holds up that white piece of paper and he flings ink at it in the film, this, this is my favorite scene in the film. And he says to him, this white piece of paper is still white when it has ink splashed against it, but the ink brings out this whiteness, the juxtaposition, you know? Why? Why are you constantly praying and reciting Quran to ask for your sins to be forgiven when you haven't lived? To say you haven't sinned, you know? So, so modesty, oh my God, I, I hate the word modesty. I despise the concept modesty because modesty is suffocating. And I'm, I, I told you at the beginning of this that I'm dressed like this because I'm perimenopausal and there's a heat wave. But there's also a part of me that intentionally dressed like this because I knew we were going to talk about modesty. And I'm, I'm intentionally being as immodest. When I was 16 years old, you couldn't catch me dead looking like this in front of the world. And I'm now intentionally looking at this in front of the world to say fuck you to modesty and anyone who tries to impose it. I've gone over my time limit here, so I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> we always make room for you and your fox. Always. <laughs> Plenty of fox and, and, and fabulous, fabulous costumes every time. So he's visited by Set. And um, she was there at the very at the very start of the film too. Um, so um, I wanted to explore as as Set was there at the birth of um, Muzamil um, at the um, the moment when he is when he's cursed rather as a as a newborn by the sheikh, um, and she's twinned in this film with um, figures of. Um, sexy Egyptian dancers, um, Monroe, um, and she is, uh, and, and Suleiman himself um, calls her by the dance name uh, Hanuma. And she is this warmly weathered, um, heavy-browed, um, sloppy-footed woman who attracts Muzamil's eye as she creams her legs in the house. Um, and as well as being present uh, at uh, the point where Muzamil is cursed at birth, she sings at weddings and funerals. And ultimately, a broken, uh, a broken Muzamil um, will be asking her for uh, sex or sin uh, to make him like, like other men, to free him from this life, which is a kind of, of endless death. Um, so... What struck you about this, the role of, of, of pleasure palaces um, and the figure of um, the sexual woman in finding the self in this film? Speaking of these pleasure palaces and, and thinking about this English house that Suleiman eventually settles into, um, I was thinking about the, the spaces that are in this film, the indoor spaces, and one is where... Sakina is, which is that it, it's a tomb, like it's a cave tomb. I, I kept imagining it as a coffin already. Mona, like you're saying, she's dying. Every time she steps in there to count, um, she's, she's the one who's dying. And that space seems to make sense of that. And then you have the mosque. Um, and then you have this other space. And uh, that English house 
that's a that's a reminder of colonialism that is uh a, it brings in an element of the political into this in a way that i found fascinating um and then you have this woman sate who is herself she can be herself in that house um and it might be her space of freedom until i think eventually uh musamil takes something from her uh that is a really interesting dynamic that i think we should talk about uh what happens but in thinking about the the pleasures uh, the desires that are in that space there's also the films that suleiman introduces musamil to and this is where he sees female sexuality that's open uh, he sees khartoum he sees these places he gets to travel that way um but i was also thinking about what this film says about migration and there's a, a a line in the film where musamil's father says i was i was dead or this plate these places made me dead i wasn't living anymore that this life as a refugee for him had rendered him dead um and when suleiman comes back i think we get the sense i got the sense he had been one of those you know if he were european you could call him an expat but because he's african we'll call him a, a, a refugee or some kind of a migrant living in different places and he comes back broken also and i found that um something that was that was really interesting that maybe the only person that was fully whole until the end is sate hanuma in this film she can move around things because of her sexuality because she doesn't give a fuck she can move around in the way that no one else can except maybe the old woman too that i i think has made her own rules in this this is um this is another character who has she says that she's just she's lived too long and she's served her purpose <laughs> right that's where that's what we're talking about yeah so it's interesting what i guess what you're saying is that there's this sense of um traveling beyond the boundary of having a an obvious use or an obvious purpose but in a way and this goes back to what mona was saying about men being broken by patriarchy as well it's interesting that the men don't traverse it as successfully perhaps in some ways as the women um although arguably that's because not not much is expected of women um but it is really interesting that set uh occupies this space where she seems to share a lot of love and respect um with her village friends and yet at the same time Naima Muzamil's uh girlfriend who's his uh childhood sweetheart who who really wishes to marry him but they they they're living under the curse of death talks about the women over there on the other side of the water who will kiss any man and and how that 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 mustn't that mustn't be done um and set also presides over this ecstatic exorcism which is performed secretly by Muzamil's mother among women and i don't know what you guys thought but that for me that scene was absolutely like a queer rave or uh, an initiation into a circle of witches yeah absolutely and you know it's it's a really important uh, reminder of uh, the alternatives to 
orthodoxies that exist because we have these kind of um, exorcisms in Egypt too. They're called Zar, you know, and you can see how um, voodoo, santeria, you know, all these other also practices that all originate on the African continent have expressed themselves in various aspects across that continent because I have a childhood memory of a similar exorcism that was done for one of my aunts. Now, I was, I must have been about like four or five, but the women were like raving and, and shouting and dancing and like almost like this hysteria and burning of things. I think they thought one of my aunts was cursed and they were like names and put into pieces of paper and burnt and I didn't know what the fuck was happening at the time because I was a child, but, but you know, it's there. And the orthodoxies were like, no, this is haram. You can't do this. You've got to do the, you know, go through the regular channels and the imams. But these are the spaces that the women insist that these are the spaces that the women snatch from orthodoxy and say, this is how we liberate ourselves. And that they're the spaces that connect them to the goddess religion. They're the spaces that connect them to the religions or forget religions to the, to the traditions and the practices before colonization, because you know, Mazi, you mentioned colonization, before the God of Christianity came, before the God of Islam came, before the Arabs came, before the white men came, we had these traditions on the African continent and they very much continue to exist and they very much continue to be owned by women. And they're the spaces that directly challenge the mosque and its stranglehold, because it's literally strangling people in that village and other spaces. But Sakina ultimately, uh, abides by the mosque's law to the point of asking her son to prepare incense for his own grave. There is this, there is this accessing of creative feminine power that uh, we see everywhere globally uh, in terms of um, women being identified as as having uh, deeply um, occult, erotic, um, ungovernable power to change things. Um, but the tragedy comes when that is only being used to try and navigate a patriarchal society and it's ultimately just collapsing to that. Um, so that brings us to Hansbury and Pantsbury moments here uh, with this film. I know you guys, I mean, you guys have pretty much said you just absolutely, absolutely loved it. Um, and we've talked about um, how much we all loved uh, Suleiman, um, played by Mahmoud El Sarah El Saraj. Um, it's a wonderful performer. Um, but for me, I also felt that obviously there are a lot of non-actors in the film, um, and there was a there was there was a, a the, the script was often quite literal to try and get ideas across. So ultimately, I felt that yes, I, I love the beauty Hansbury, Hansbury totally for the photography, for the performances, um, for the really interesting role of, of of Set, who I think is a fascinating character. Um, but ultimately, for me, I also felt that there were some there was an element of pantsbury here um the the idea of the fear of death rather deadened the action for me it felt like it worked on an allegorical level but almost um leached the film of, of really vital turning points so things like the decision of the father to abandon Muzamil and his mother all the lost love between Muzamil and Naima his uh, childhood sweetheart um, I didn't really buy those so there was a certain lack of emotional texture but I don't know how, how, how you guys um, responded to that I like those moments actually uh, so much I, I think that um, I had to maybe part of it is I had to keep reminding myself that 
I was watching a world where there was no other alternative necessarily. There, there, Musamil hadn't been given another alternative of how he could possibly think. He hadn't been raised that way. Um, his father might have seen an alternative in a, in a different way of life. Um, but I, I think if I were if I were going to do a Pensbury, oh my God, maybe, maybe. And I know that the ending was very cinematic. But if there is something that I would say, it might be about that very last part because what happened just before it, I think, required a deeper examination. Yes. That could have happened much earlier. And I think it would have ignited the film. In a way, maybe that's part of what you're talking about, Soma, because we're witnessing a woman pretending like she has a choice when she really has no choice. And we need to call this what it is, but the film doesn't allow it in, in a way that in some ways it could be uncompromising, but in another it's, it's, I'm saying, wait a minute, you don't, you don't leave this here. So uh, just very briefly. Uh, yeah. So we're talking about set here. Yeah. Um, and we will probably will just leave it at yeah. that. But uh, yes, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, but 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 agreed. And um, Mona, um, what were your what were your top? What's your top Hansbury Award for this for this film? So look, Hansbury. I you know I had already mentioned the scene with um, the white piece of paper and the ink and that exchange between Suleiman and Mozambel in the mosque, where Suleiman is is entreating with Mozambel to live. You know, he wants him to live. So that's my Hansbury moment. And, and my Pansbury moment is I really wish the women, the female characters were more developed than they were. I, I really think that um, it was dangerously virgin whore territory here because I think that the women ended up being these types. And I think, you know, they were hinting that that Set is a sex worker. Uh, they were hinting that. So I love the freedom that she was given, but I. Um, what I wished I could have seen was in the same way that Suleiman offered an alternative in, in a good way to Muzammil that set or, or offered an alternative in a good way to the young women. But she was, she was portray, portrayed as offering the bad example to the women, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, what alternative to their lives do these women have? You know, they don't. And so at least we had in Suad Rabab as offering us some kind of Look, here's someone who's breaking through. And I'm glad that Muzammil had Suleiman to give him that here now. But I just saw the women there as just kind of like these stock characters, you know, the ever sacrificing mother, the old sage woman, you know, the kind of like the woman who you should not be like. And I, I wish that we had a bit more complexity in the women where you could be everything at once. And, and Naima could have been that his girlfriend, his childhood sweetheart. And I think she was trying to be that when she said to him, you know, I heard that if you kiss someone you love, it's okay as long as they say I love you back. So there is a hint at kind of like sexual rebelliousness there, but she's not developed enough beyond that type, you know? I agree. And I think that that potentially that, that there is this one emotional texture, um, which... It, it, it's a shame. It would have been, would have been, would have been great for that to have been broken up. But what you're saying about um, sort of 
what you're both saying in different ways about a deeper understanding of the emotional inner life of women um, is true for both films. And if there was to pull out a divine thunderbolt, a thought about um, you will die at 20, for me, it was that you need to make your own choices in order to understand or reject sexuality. And as an artist, you need to work on emotional reality in order to make a human story out of a political allegory. Um, do, do either of you have a, a thunderbolt um, message that you felt this film was trying to deliver? Well, I think that it, the fact that it's dedicated at the end to the people, of the, the victims of the Sudanese revolution, um, I think suggests that we're not just, we as revolutionaries everywhere, are not just standing up to political repression, we're standing up to repression of all kinds, and that we we are also victims of religious repression, cultural repression, all forms. Because I think that we often think of the revolution as rising up or rebelling against political power, but there's a rising up because, they, you know, I often say we have to rise up against the dictator, uh, the, the state, the street and the home. So the dictator in the presidential palace, the dictator in the village streets and the dictator in the home, because those tri the, the, that trifecta of patriarchy is what suffocates the life out of us, is what tells us you're going to die at 20 because it leaves us no room, um, no regal room so to speak. So I think, I think this is also what Abul Ala is also trying to say, that it's not just political repression, it's, it's repression of any kind. Yeah, and right, right, right into the home. Mazza, did you have a thunderbolt for us? Uh, I think one of the things that I came away with in this film is um, the, many, the many kinds of living deaths that exist within a society, and it's it's right along what you were saying, Mona, and also Soma. Um, the ways that each of these people, in their own way, are alive and dying, and it it could be within the home and in the street, and and then in the palace, like you're saying, all the different ways that this can constrict lives. So I I felt that in both meta metaphorical ways, but also quite quite real. Yeah, I felt, I mean, I still feel that I've, I I differ from you guys a bit, I think, in my response to the second film, You Will Die at 20. I think I was, um, I, I felt, uh, I, 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 I felt the, um, the limits um, of that emotional monotony and at sometimes the, the lack of development that we're talking about, but still like hugely worth watching um, along with Suad. And another film that um, You Will Die at 20 uh, reminded me of was uh, I Am Not a Witch, um, which is also it's another debut film by the Zambian Welsh director Rungano Nioni. Um, and now that is fantastic for giving us um, that texture, for giving us a real antagonist. So I thought that in this film, that if, if Suleiman had um, stepped forward as more of an antagonist, or if Set had stepped forward as more of an, an actual antagonist, to, 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 to have a, a more dynamic role with the community, um, rather than being set off to one side, given that Muzamil then doesn't take it on, Naima doesn't take it on, um, it just felt a bit static. Um, however, hugely interesting films, well worth watching, and a hugely interesting conversation. 
Thank you, Mazza Mengiste and Mona Altahawi. What Goddesses Watch is created by me, host and producer Soma Ghosh, audio producer Quiva Laval, with music by Penelope Traps. And if you've got an upcoming film or can think of a forgotten or classic gem that deserves a feminist revisiting, hit us up on Instagram, Demented Goddess Webzine, and Twitter, Goddess Demented. 